Welcome to another edition of the Billion Dollar Broker Podcast. I'm Ross Lacane. Today, I've got a, an amazing guest with us, uh, someone who's done particularly well in his new venture, Crew Financial. We've got Rick Garner, the CEO and founder of Crew Financial with us. So welcome, Rick. Good to see you, Ross. So, you know, you're an award-winning broker. You've won many awards with uh, SFG. I know you've been nominated for many industry awards. And we were talking uh, just off air before we got on how, you know, every year you've grown between one to 200%. And, you know, you were saying that that's planned. So there's a lot of value that we're going to unpack today. But I'm keen to, you mentioned to me, you got started about 20 years ago, like in, in 2002. So tell me a bit about your, you know, your early days in broking, and then we'll talk a little bit about how you got started with Crew. Well, awesome to be uh, chatting to you uh, today, Ross. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can uh, come up with some good ideas to share around uh, the groups and uh, get some good stuff out there. Uh, yeah, started 20 years ago. I'm actually a financial planner by trade. And I spent uh, around 12 years as, as a, primarily an independent financial advisor, around my own FSL and all this kind of thing. And that was very exciting. But alongside that, we ran a mortgage broking business. And uh, at that stage, I was uh, tied up with AFG and uh, them for about 10 or 12 years or something. But uh, yes, yeah, so I started as a, a planner. And uh, my background, of course, is a commercial airline pilot. And so I guess from, from, the, from the onset in my business career, I... Uh, looked at everything from a, um, a process point of view because one of the things that the airlines do really, really well is they um, they have like an operations manual for everything. And um, and when I started out in wealth advice, uh, the first thing I went to um, my sort of my manager, my BDM manager, area manager, really nice guy. And I said, okay, so, you know, where's our, in, like our instruction manual, our process book? And, and um, he said to me, pointed to the white pages, he said, look, the opportunity book is just down there going for it. And so <laughs> the opportunity book, uh, I don't even know that, especially young people, they don't even know what a white page is anymore. But um, so I, I started with the opportunity book and I found that there was just, um, there was sort of nobody really guiding anybody. And all I could do was sort of really rely on my own thought processes of, okay, well, in the airplane, I'd do this and there'd be another step and there'd be a checklist and there'd be a pathway and there'd be whatever. And uh, so I started approaching my you know, financial planning, this case, with that mindset. And um, because I guess I'm one of those guys, a square peg and a square hole kind of thing. I don't really think in pretty pictures or, or bright colours, it's all straight lines. So I'm a very boring person, unless you, um, unless we're out having a, at the football or something. But anyway, so... Um, yeah, went with that, and uh, yeah, it was it was cool because when you don't know what you don't know, and you're trying to piece together what you think things should look like, it's just really haphazard, and and um, and uh, it's it's difficult to really get a clear pathway, and everything's just done disjointedly, and um, that really wasn't working for me. So anyway, I designed my own, my own sort of roadmap, um, and uh, even though there were some. Uh, sort of compliance manuals and this kind of thing, basic compliance information to adhere to. Really, nobody had a, a turnkey business operating system. And that made me read, and I'm sure you've read this book, The E-Myth, Michael Gerber, very old book now. Yeah, I love that one. I'm a big fan Yeah, it's fan a cracker. And, and, and I was really, really interested in, obviously, McDonald's. I mean, McDonald's has been looked at for 
decades now as a um, for sales process engineering. There's another guy I went to as well, and he was probably a bit like you, but 20 years ago, Ross. And and this guy talked about sales process engineering. You might remember back in the days when um, marketing events were done, and there would be people turning up, like hundreds of people turning up to an advert or something in the paper about um, some kind of wealth seminar. Do you remember those? Yeah, I do. I probably attended a few, yeah. Yeah, I went to a few of those myself. Anyway, um, so I went to this guy's course and he was talking to me about, because I was just basically a one-man band. I knew I wanted to make money and I didn't know how other than selling um, you know, life insurance policies or, or superannuation funds or the like. Anyway, um, so went to his, his workshop. I think it was $400. And he, he said to me something really profoundly stuck and he says listen um what you need is scalability didn't even know what the word meant and um and he says you know for, for you to do what we're talking about here you would need to have um you know a huge marketing funnel you need to then have all your your process all mapped out um really really succinctly and then you'd have to have your product and you, you've got to have um all the sales people there and you've got to have all this stuff to handle and cater this volume. He said, the minute you try and do something on your own, it's just going to implode and it won't work. Mm. And, um, and I thought, okay, well, that's interesting advice. And then I, then I looked at the budget required to actually put that together because he gave me some pointers and, and, and it was just unattainable. It was so much money. Obviously though, if you got it right, you could, um, you could absolutely make a, a truckload and do re be really successful. However, at, at the one-man operator level, it's sort of, you know, really starting in, in this industry, it just really wasn't practical. So we, we just parked that thought process. Then what I went about doing is in my financial planning business, sitting about a structure and, uh, and then organising that uh, as a, um, basically templating all of our, all of our correspondences, templating our customer experience and, and, and that actually was probably one of the biggest things. So I templated um, what my value proposition was going to be. And we, we put it in this quite a, a, a well done PowerPoint presentation, which we present in front of clients, of course. And, and we talk about what we were going to do. And that was going to be, you know, to improve their wealth advice. Um, you take care of their superannuation, get them into an investment property, refinance their mortgages then go and um, take care of their life insurances, fix those up, maybe sort of self-managed funds, centralise it into a centralised cash management account. And so what we had basically was the bank managers or the, um, the Combank's Nirvana, which was about eight products per customer, uh, very sticky clients and uh, very satisfied people who had diversified product sets with fragmentation across different uh, financial institutions. So the relationship stayed with us. So it's all sounding pretty good and we're doing really, really well, probably earning anything from 20 to 40,000 per client. And I do 50 or 60 of those a year. Now, and, and all predominantly high net worth customers. Now, all, all moderately affluent, people who are going in a, in a positive direction. Um, there was one big problem with that though, Ross. And the problem was, it was in fact so successful that, um, that I didn't realise what I was doing to myself and that was I was ending up creating a scenario where everything was centralized around one person and that one person was me mm. 
and that 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 caused other problems and frictions in my life you know difficulty with, with marriage and children because when you've got so much um i guess uh, penetration to somebody's particularly their financial life well when the phone rings and they need to talk to you about it you better answer it right so um that was that was very difficult and uh, there's really no way of extracting yourself out of that so um even i had a small team but one of the things that really sort of jumped out of that was yes we had a we had a funnel that worked effectively we had a a sales process which was really really good we had a compelling value proposition that worked really really well uh successful experiences for the clients so ex excellent outcomes mm. but really not the correct level of infrastructure to support what was going on yeah so, so i mean if i just pause for a minute there and look back at you know that in terms of i love some of the things that you were you were talking about in terms of the fact that you know within the financial planning business you you in that powerpoint presentation you highlighted what that customer journey looked like right absolutely um, yeah from was, from end was, to end yeah yeah and and i was uh speaking one of my coaching things a guy by the name of dean jackson and what he was talking about was pre-baking the cookies right so rather than opening your fridge door and saying hey look here are all the products that i've got in my financial planning which one do you want you put it in a presentation which is like pre-baking the cookies right this is what Absolutely. we do this is how we do it would you like it right and put it on a tray and give it to oh yes please right which yeah, absolutely. You, you then had a client, as you said, that was a twenty to thirty thousand dollar average sale client. And you had fifty or sixty of those, which is obviously good revenue. But uh, the thing but, you but there, there was more to it than that, though, yeah. Ross. And and like if you're a talker, and some of us are, mm. and, and it's pretty easy to get sidetracked, right, and go all over the place. And and I really needed an anchor to because I was the primary salesperson to really keep me on tra on track and on targets talk about the things that are important instead of deviating off and talking about things that are irrelevant and silly and and keeping it all on the train tracks and that that really served as a brilliant anchor it kept everything on time it kept it all professional and um i i think it's an essential thing in fact we're actually developing that right now for use for my my current brokers and so that they've got something that really articulates to our new clients in the lending space all those those things we just discussed yeah it's something that i do in my program um where we've done a six-week thing on relationship sales that step people through that step by step because it's so important to take the customers on a journey and you know i know you're big on that in terms of customer experience and um you know building that in because i think a lot of brokers are transactional and they don't focus on that customer experience but i know that's something that you guys and you know when you obviously went into crew that's something that you're big on and that we've we've discussed at length absolutely no it's it's really really important because uh, you're going to decide whether you want to just have the, it well you can have that basically making the same investment to have the one-off transaction and it's, everybody knows, we've talked about this at um, multiple PD days, about the cost of acquisition of a client is much, much cheaper if you just keep you know, reworking the existing client base. 
exactly. It's, right. it's easier. It takes it takes less time. You got less uh, risk of, um, of, uh, of of runoff, and and they're generally going to take your advice the first time around. It'll be a simpler, smoother transaction. So, it, I think it really is something that's missed, mm, definitely. particularly in lending. Definitely. And I, you know, from property investment, that was a big attraction to me to go into that property investment space. I'm like, I can do multiple transactions with the one client, or I can try to, you know, keep finding new clients. I'd much rather someone that, that transacts multiple times a year than have to go chasing new, new clients. So go deeper with the, the same clients that you've got. So in terms of, you know, that was your financial planning model. And you got to that point where you go, oh, shit, I'm stuck. I'm a victim of my success. Um, Absolutely. Working really, really well, but I'm finding it hard to scale. So what came next? Well, eventually, um, I obviously had quite a few people working for me as um, um, admin assistants. Mm. And uh, there's always the problem of um, training people from scratch. So when you, I had quite a lot of people that I trained from scratch, but also I had some people who were already previously experienced. One lady who um, was basically my PA, but also she was an ex-banker and she was really, really good. And um, and she really would take a lot of that load off me. Uh, in the end, and after doing it for about 12, 14 years or something, I did actually burn out. I'd had enough. And so um, it, it, you, I guess that really, brings about the, the notion of sustainability, right? Because no matter who you are, you, you're going to eventually run out of steam at some point, unless you're set up correctly. And that's something I'm really mindful of in the current business that we're doing. I don't want to fall down that, into that trap again. And so, um, yeah, getting, getting, I guess, the right team. And if you could, it, it, it's worth paying more money for experience and, and uh, having that learning curve be much flatter than a new trainee, somebody off the street who seems cheap, but their, their curve is like this. Mm. And um, you can get a better return on investment faster using better quality labor, even though it's more expensive. Yeah. But I think that's a big, big point. And, um, um, and also like in Australia, wage, wages are expensive anyway. I mean, you'd struggle to get anybody in this sort of industry for less than about 60000 And to get somebody who's probably good might be 80 or 90. Mm. So it's about a 30% you know, increase in cost, but um, you get tenfold the, the return on investment just from an effectiveness productivity side of things. Yeah, you're exactly right. Exactly right. And in terms of... Um, you know, we'll get to that and I'm keen to dig into because I know uh, you had the full full team offshore and then, yeah, you've recently changed that in-house. But in terms of, uh, we sort of started to touch on the, the sort of start of crew financial. So I'm, I'm, I'm keen to let people hear the story of, you know, how that yeah. sort of came about. Well, what, what happened was... Um... I'd taken a break out of finance for a few years hmm. and obviously I had lots of people. I knew lots of people who were clients formerly and, and family and everybody kept asking me about, you know, oh, can I do, can I do their mortgage? Or can I do this? Or tell me about this or tell me about that. 
And um, I, I just sort of, I was having a bit of a rest and in my rest, I was just being a commercial airline pilot, as you do, <laughs> right? And um, so, but anyway, I could, I, I decided I, I couldn't really avoid these calls any longer. And um, I thought, oh, well, look, why not set up something where I just sort of do the odd loan here and there for maybe a few pilots and friends and maybe odd family member and I just want to do something little and just, just maybe a few bits of little bit of pocket money on the side, Ross, just mm. to supplement my income, just for something fun. And I, I really didn't intend to, um, to, to get big, but obviously it did. Um, now, one of the first considerations, if you're me running my life is, well, I already have another job, right? And that's to, to fly airplanes. I've actually got three jobs, but, um, but anyway, so I had to think from the very beginning, from the first day, how am I going to be able to deliver a timely experience for people that's good quality, that can still operate when I'm off doing something else? And that was the premise. I thought, okay, yeah, I want to earn this little bit of money. I didn't know how much it was going to be. Um, I had some, I have some skills, right? I thought, well, it's appropriate to deploy those and earn revenue from them. But uh, I needed to not take up all my life. And I knew what it was like before from being a finance broker, a financial planner, insurance advisor, stockbroker, all that sort of stuff, right? And so we've got that sitting in the back of my mind. So, the, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, I need to find a way of doing it that's really, really quick and easy. And I don't want to look bad. I also want to look good doing this job. I don't want to look like every Tom, Dick or Harry Aimloans who... Um, we wanted to do something special because the clientele that we talk to have high expectations around service delivery, right? So um, in my, my pilot colleagues, they're, um, they're, they're predominantly high net worth customers. Um, all the, um, the private banks will generally love to have them as clients. So if I'm going to talk to that marketplace, well then, and that's the market that I'm in, then we need and to- I think that's an important that. point, right? You've got to- have your product suit your market, right? And, and you've got to be an expert in serving your chosen market. And you've chosen, obviously, the name is Crew Financial. You've chosen uh, flight crew and um, and staff in, in the airline industry. And again, so if you're going to serve that niche, your business had better be set up to serve them in the way that they want to be served. And uh, 100%. Actually, can I just, just, just a little side junk? an adjunct there right um so even coming up with the name i thought well um before our wealth advice company it had a name it was reliance capital and um and i felt that it wasn't really i wanted it to be a high value brand but the the problem was it really wasn't talking to anything and and, and i thought this time how about this how about we don't be everything home loans or everybody home loans how about i just be these people home loans mm. right and and hence that's why i thought well this will make my marketing message much much easier mm. right i if i know who i'm talking to and I, I i can design a value proposition around that niche or a niche any niche doesn't matter what it is then your messaging becomes much simpler your your way of attracting clients becomes simpler and everything becomes easier and, and so that's, that's how we ended up coming to the name. Now, obviously, I'm around crew a lot. 
crew can be adopted to a, a number of things, but in my community, then it's it's really easily recognised. So, yeah, uh, so that's, that's my little footnote. Point. And in terms of for other brokers, you know, a lot of people think that if they niche their business, they're going to miss out on certain other business, but. As you said, I love what you said about when you actually niche and you focus on crew, which is something you're a part of, uh, you it makes everything much simpler. It makes your marketing simpler. It makes the client. Everything. It makes your service proposition easier to create because you know who you're trying to serve. Uh, so, yeah, by actually having a niche, it is actually makes your business easier. That's right. Now, having said that, we, we, we've actually expanded to a couple of other categories now. But we're still not scattergunning, scattergunning it. We're not, we're not just at least as far as the marketing messaging is concerned. We're we're keeping it very very defined. But um, if you uh, well, that doesn't mean we can't um, talk to other people as well, right? So if somebody's mum or somebody's sister will of course calls up, well, of course we can help them, right? But it's just it, getting back to really. Um, the nuts and bolts of it is that, well, who do we want to talk to? And uh, and then everything becomes easier from there. Yeah. Love it. So back to what we were talking about before, Ross. And yeah, that yeah. was, um, so I've got this job. I'm busy. I'm flying around. And we need to have a simple way of doing things. And I, I mentioned this to you before. It's about designing the experience. And so uh, I, I thought I'd map out. I thought, well, if I wanted to have, if I wanted to have my socks blown off as far as, um, what I think a good mortgage broking experience would look like. What would that look like? So I started writing it down on paper. I, thought, well, I want this to happen then. And then if this to happen, this would look really great. And then blah, 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 we end up with this big list. And I thought, okay, well now how do I effectively execute that? Well, the first thing I got to do is I can't be writing every single email by hand or every single piece of correspondence. If you think about the basics of what a successful mortgage broking experience from a customer's perspective even looks like. Well, the number one thing is communication, mm. right? That's first and foremost with everything. So they need to be informed, right? They want to be, they want to have the expectations set, right? And they, and then, then if you exceed those expectations, they're going to be ecstatic with you, right? It's only a problem if you say something and then deliver something else. So um, even if you told them it's going to be two weeks, just make sure it's less than two weeks. But the point is, is you've got to, you've got to specify, right? So I, I basically with all my comms pieces, I'd say, right, this, this is where we're at. This is what's happening. This is how long it's going to take to come and this is what's going to happen next. And that is basically the framework of everything that we did. So at every single place where I felt that the customer needed to know something, we, we would do that. Now, the other thing too is- And what were those three things? This is where we're at. This is where we're at. This is where, where we're going and, and this is how long it's going to take and this is what's happening next. Okay, beautiful. Love it. Right? So to really spell that out, um, and, and that way no one can ever say that we didn't tell them. Right? Really important. But the, the probably the biggest and most important thing is that there is a communications piece that's going down range that is appropriate and timely and, and touches those key points. Um, the other thing too is, uh, is like, okay, what kind of collateral do I want? Well, people need to know certain things, right? So having the right collateral go out at the right times, and I'm talking about information pieces here. And so that was something we, we I mapped out as well. So so that, through I think throughout our uh, process is about 35 touch pieces. Now, in addition to that, 
it's not just about the messaging itself. It's about how do people want to be engaged with. So if I send you an email, and I know that if I look at my email list, I literally will skim them for two seconds. And if I can't get what I need out of it, it's gone. And, um, and, and customers are the same. They're busy people too. They want you to have communicated. And we've also got to find a, 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 a nice, simple way. So we actually duplicate the process. We have, uh, you know, obviously standard email comms that go out, tell them all these things, have appropriate attachments. And um, we also have text messages that run out because people, the, the open rates, and if we start looking at, you know, open rates for emails and things about 5% with email, but it's about 99% with text. Yeah. Right. So you've got a short, sharp text that also does those things, mm. well, then you're almost assured that the message is going to get through to your client. And uh, and then they'll look at their... Now, with mine, some of my texts also will say, please refer to the email I've just sent you, right? So, um, so that way our clients are being informed all the way through the process. And, and that's something that's really uh, key. Uh, most of our clients like efficient use of technology as well. Right, so they're technology adopters, and so um, a lot of the you know the e-signature platforms are nice and fast. They like that, and so we've done that as well. But uh, so yeah, so we designed this customer experience, and um, at low levels of volume, initially we didn't really need a whole lot of support. And I was with Fast Group at that point, and um, and I was reasonably happy to start with. But what I found is their platform really was unable to deliver what I wanted, right? And it couldn't deliver the, 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 the efficiency I needed. And so we really needed to, to change um, software providers and aggregators. And we, we moved to uh, a boutique aggregator who was able to specialist finance group who gave us uh, access to more efficient technology. And that way I could actually build out that customer experience exactly how I wanted to deliver it. And importantly, um, well, it's, I, I call it a lump of plasticine, right? So mm -hmm. uh, that plasticine that I can mold and shift and shape around to whatever I, I desire. And that was really important. So um, I guess not important if you don't have a mapped out sales process or a sales plan, right? Cause you don't know what you don't need. And, but the minute you want to start automating and you want to start um, getting, well, going to the levels that we do, like you, I'd need a whole other person just employed just to write my emails if I was doing it manually, right? Mm -hmm. So this is where I guess thinking about how you adopt and how you utilize technology in your CRM, um, that can either cost you or it can make you. And I, I think, I, I think, I think an important point, right? So you've got a full-time job as an airline pilot for that, for a lot of people, that'd be enough. So you're saying, all right, I've started this business. I want to get um, that, you know, fantastic customer experience. I want to, you know, serve these high net worth clients the way that they want to be um, served. And so to do that from your old experience, you say, look, I can't do it this way anymore. I need a streamlined system process. I need the right tools and technology and I need to design the process. So you've gone about designing it. You've got your 35, four steps. You've got your collateral. You're communicating in terms of ways, you know, that clients want to be communicated via, you know, email, via text, um, and which has allowed you to then obviously do what you do, 
and ensure that that process gets delivered to the client the way that you want it to be delivered? 100% because, I mean, I know that with one to two man brokers, there's a real resistance to investing in particularly in wages, right? Um, but you're caught between a rock and a hard place because somebody's got to go to the effort and sit down and do the do the mapping out and 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 then writing the content somebody's got to do that now you either do it yourself and if you do that then you can't be writing deals or you uh pay somebody but it's going to cost you tens of thousands of dollars so somebody has to do something at some point now, i was just very fortunate because i had my um my previous background and i'd seen all the mistakes i'd made years ago i just knew that before i even really picked up the tools to start getting serious about writing mortgages again, the very first place I started was, what does this look like? Yeah. What does this look like? Who are we talking to? How are we talking to? What do they need? Right? What do we want? And, and for it to be successful, what does it need to, what shape does it need to be? Mm. Right? And then we've got to look at other things like, well, what resourcing do we really need? And is there a better way to do that? So um, with, with a lot of the... Um, technology platforms out there and i think this is the wrong way to look at by the, by the way what the, that will do is we'll mask the, the shortcomings of the technology by adding additional labor and the first place we'll try and do that is low cost labor right so whereas my mindset says hold on a minute why do i want to add that labor if i can avoid it at all yeah, and that, I think that's probably the, the solution that was given to me by my previous aggregator was, I oh, will just get more staff to do that those things. I said, well, this is a ridiculous way of thinking about it. We should be thinking about it the other way. Why don't we improve the platform or the product to deliver this thing so we don't need to employ the staff? And uh, and and by the way, robots do it better. They do it better than me. And they probably do it better than you too, Ross. They do it better than all of us, right? So yeah. they don't complain. They never get sick, and uh, they do it on time. So, uh, so I think that's the probably the first place, and that's been a big thing in the industry, particularly as we've seen a, a real shift towards outsourcing. And I think that a lot of the outsourcing is not even necessary if you've got the correct IT in, in place. Mm. Because yeah, and that's an interesting point that I wanted to raise and want you to go into because you went all in for outsourcing and you know you and you sort of learnt from your mistakes. So just want to talk through that journey, how you sort of you know you went all in on outsourcing and you had your own offshoring team um, that you managed to you know where you are at today. Yeah. Okay. Good question. So. Um... We've had this sort of business, which has been, um, which was really successful in growing and we've really been leveraging our technology as best we can. And, and to give some comparison, um, I think that we could do around 4 million a month per person without support staff, right? Mm -hmm. But when you get greater than that, um, you start seeing the limitations of time really creep in and so you, you do need help. So I think the difference between so what I'm doing and what a lot of other guys are doing is the, the need to bring paid external labour is much, much sooner when you don't have an efficient system, obviously, right? So we're able to push that out. And, 
having said that though, there becomes a point where you need it anyway. And um, so, yeah, we went down the outsourcing experience. Um, I went and directly recruited um, my own staff, right? So there are multiple ways of doing it. You can do it through some of the agencies who um, will usually get graduates and there's a training burden that there's a training program that needs to be put in place. They're not really, they're not effective brokers or anything. They're, um, they're, they're admin staff now, very smart people, usually in the Philippines or India. And the rate per person, when you compare it to domestic labour, is very, very low cost. And, and it'll end up being something around $25,000 a year, Australian, give or take. Yeah. And um, mine are a little bit cheaper. And, and um, I was able to get, because I was paying them directly and there's less of a markup um, for the service provider, I was able to get really, really experienced people. But even with experienced people, what we discovered is um, you need a, a, a huge team to make it really, really work, in my opinion, because you need somebody over there who's, who's able to um, you know, put out bushfires. Mm. And the minute that somebody ends up with their off the train track, so to speak, and they've got a, a problem which they're not quite sure how to, to deal with, well, the whole, the whole system stops. And, um, and they really aren't able to um, problem solve quite as well as you'd expect a, a domestic person to. Yeah, they're right? great so, yeah, following the process, but when they are forced to think and a mortgage business is, you know, uh, a, a business that, yeah, things don't happen correctly, right? We run into turbulence and uh, we, we need to know how to steer through it. Absolutely. And the, uh, it's just really some cultural issues that stop that. The Asians in particular, um, they don't want to disappoint their, their bosses, right? Mm -hmm. So they'd rather make no decision instead of a decision that could be wrong because the risk to them of making the wrong decision is worse than doing nothing, right? So um, that's not a training issue. That's a culture mm -hmm. issue. And we would say to... Um, to the people in our team who, like I said, they were quite experienced. Um, we'd say if you've, because they'd worked in other outsourcing places before, we'd say if you've seen anything really good at another organisation, well, let us know. But they're really, really re reluctant to speak up and to speak their mind. Uh, it, it took a lot. Then, of course, COVID came and um, we started having to deal with, you know, absenteeism because of COVID. Um, we, we wouldn't allow any of our staff to work from home. There are many organisations that do permit work from home in the Philippines. Now, our position on that was we wouldn't go for it because we didn't like the notion that, we just thought that the security risk was too high. Mm -hmm. And if I told one of my high net worth clients that, um, that their personal information was basically in somebody's lounge room in the Philippines, I'd feel very uncomfortable with that. So that was not something that we were prepared to do. And um, so the work from home option meant that we had some, or our inability to use it or our resistance to it meant that we had some, um, uh, it was very disjointed, the support that was coming through. And uh, yeah, so uh, they were good, provided that everything was exactly perfect all the time. Yeah. And how many were in your team over there? Five. 
We had five. I think you really need um, probably three times that at least. You need 15 and you need probably a, um, an Australian person, excuse me, that would be over there administering that team. So that says you need a big, huge business yeah. to really, really make it hum properly. Yeah. Um, putting square pegs and square holes they're really good at, but the minute that something strained comes, well, then they're gone and you need one of us to then deal with it. So, look, you can use them to lighten, lighten the load, but it's not a perfect solution. Mm. And if I, so we, we disbanded that uh, several months back and we decided to get uh, experienced people. Mm. And so the, how, many the, the, in, in, how many experienced in-house people replaced your team in the Philippines? Okay, so we need, we wanted a team that was of similar size, mm. right? Um, but uh, we've got two ex-bank credit analysts. Mm. One was a former team leader at Big Four and then was a second tier, so a large one that everybody here would know. And um, so, you know, 10 plus years in credit. Another person who's uh, the, the manager of our credit team um, she was an ex-broker, also worked as a branch manager, branch lender um, in a uh, second tier lender as well, 30 plus years experience and uh, yeah, highly competent. Um, then we've got um, a settlements coordinator who's had real estate experience, been in property management and uh, for several years and so knows the settlements process really, really well. Um, we also have, we've actually employed a customer experience person, ex-real estate property manager. I'm not telling everybody to go and get property managers here, by the way. That's just what we did in this instance. Um, but maturity, I think, is key uh, when hiring. So, yeah, customer experience person because, you know, post-settlement experience is really important for if we want a retention piece. Um, we've got two trainees. One person is a compliance officer to make sure all of our Compliance documents are all there, and, and that's, a, that's a very straightforward role. And then we've got a lending support person as well who, um, who does lots of pre-fill and does a lot of the work that what would have been done in Manila, yeah. but can apply a, a domestic lens to it. So, um, so, so that's a pretty decent team, and we're looking to add more former bank credit analysts or brokers into our credit analyst team. Love it. Yeah, oh, because man. it's just, it's just, it's just, and now if I look at just the burden on me personally, um, it, it's it gone from being a massive burden where I literally had to micromanage everything to being a, um, a team where I can just say, okay, well, this is my intent. Oh, this is the commander's intent. I love that thing. It's a, hmm. it's a, it's a um, military sort of saying. Commander's intent is this, and they know that to achieve the end state of where we want to get to, then I know these things need to happen. I don't need to micromanage that. Yeah, and I love that's that. what and, I, and I think this is key, right? And this is what I find when you've got offshore, you become the conductor, as you said, you, you've got assistance. You don't have partners in your business. The thing, and I had, uh, and with Aussie, we couldn't have offshoring teams. So in my business within Aussie, we had everyone in-house. And I found that we could create what I called approval solutions partners. And the reason we name the partners is because they become that. You yeah. give them, as you said, your commander's intent and you tell them and you can empower them 
to run with that process. And they've got the ability to then, if something goes off the rails, they can make an appropriate decision. They can use their thought processes and take control and do that. I know it was successful in our business. And it looks like it's being successful in your business as well. 100%, yeah, because they can apply their lateral thought. They can mm. their experience. I mean, we're paying them because they have experience. We're not mm. paying them to ask me every, or, or the other brokers for answers for every single question. Um, another thing that we did too, and I know you're big up with the bid notes, um, yeah, because our system's um, a little bit different, we, we've created our own new bid notes template and just simple things. So um, the broker notes, for example, that we would submit to the bank, we're now able to make that be uh, that document be multi-purpose. So we fill out certain fields for our bid compliance and we, uh, we also use the same documents for the broker notes that would go to the bank. So there's a, we've, we've simplified and streamlined that effort. And one of the things that we did, which is really cool, um, is we've got a bit of a working group now with um, our senior credit analyst, a couple of myself and a senior broker. And we go through and review the content in our bid notes or in our, in our, um, in our broker notes to then... Um, look at if it's addressing all the key criteria in each address and whether it's answering all the credit analyst questions preemptively to then cut down our RFI count. Mm. And it also serves a, a tertiary purpose, which is for other brokers in the group who are, who are less experienced. It gives them the key pointers of what they need to consider when looking at a deal. Yeah, exactly right. And it gives them that structure, gives them that template. And yeah, I remember early days from back when I was a credit assessor, we used to have those things and uh, training up our brokers just with a simple background notes template. And yeah, so, so important to get those one touch approvals. So the other thing that we were talking about was in terms of you know, those areas of waste and sort of things that you, once you take that helicopter view of your business, you, you question about, you know, if I should be doing, I know talking about before we yeah. jumped on the podcast today, you were saying you had some insights around that and sort of looked at a few areas of your business. So yeah, interested for you to share on some of your learnings there. Yeah. So uh, I guess that's really, it's the, the way we're approaching everything now. So uh, we we talk in our team meetings every week about you know areas that we can maybe cut down or automate. So I, the, the the mental process is this: you say, okay, well, do we need it? Like, are we doing something that's actually redundant? And that was something that came to recent revision of our of our bid notes. We, we looked at some of the paragraphing. Which, you know what? Actually this is just fluff and it's just nonsense. It's just words for words sake. So let's get rid of that. And um, same deal with some of the touch points that we've had. We've, you know, we've reviewed them over time and said, okay, you know, maybe that's actually no longer relevant or necessary or, or needed. Right. And every single week in our group, we'll consider what needs to be eliminated. So first thing is this, do we need it at all? Right. If, if, um, we uh, we agree that we still need it. So obviously the best thing to do is cut a process altogether, mm. get rid of yeah. it, right? And the second thing is, if we do need it, can we make it faster, right? Could we simplify it? And then finally, 
what, think something that's better than that. If we must keep it and we can't simplify it, can we automate it? Hmm. Right. So, uh, and there's lots of really cool solutions coming out. I know that we're going to be adopting the Sherlock for some of our back office stuff. I know that's pretty pop, getting pretty popular out there at the moment. And that's one of the next things we're implementing uh, across our, our team because it'll help with our retention and it'll cut down labor, even though there's a dollar spend for it. Um, the uh, what else can I think of? Geez, um, there's just been so many. The you know using things that are so simple. I mean, uh, using uh, Outlook for your for your calendars when there's you know the automated meeting tools such as Calendly, or, 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 or and, and automating that process. It makes you think about okay, well, what does that need to look like? Okay, how many? When should I put my reminders on? And uh, and all these things that help you enhance the look and feel of your business, but you personally don't have to do anymore. Yeah, I mean, Calendly is a great one, right? If you've got the advanced version of Calendly, it can do reminders, text reminders. You can put a series of workflows in it. You can have yeah. a free questionnaire that goes out. Um, so many little things, right? In terms of to one to help you qualify your clients but to remind them, to get them to show up, to put the Zoom link in it, to do all that sort of stuff. So, you know, that's a Well, I mean, example. there's another one too, Ross. I mean, we actually got our own custom built um, mobile app recently and that'll be getting launched to our customers soon. So on the Google, you know, Google Play Store on the Apple app, you know, app store, um, just to give our customers uh, a smoother way from to, to get access to us and from there and obviously things like back channel messages and automated messaging as well but for them to be able to simply book an appointment through their mobile app and also keep that bit of extra communication to us and it's a, it's a small point of difference i think there's a few brokerages out there getting them now but um just little widgets you can add in um things that i can add, i guess you look at from the perspective of it can add value to my customer experience. It can it take away some of my time that I'm spending. Mm, exactly right. And that's the thing. So, and, you know, I know when we redid our processes and we are similar to you, we were constantly looking at it, but I think you're right in terms of what you're saying. You need to put it through the customer's eyes as well, right? Yes, it may make it easier for me, but is it improving the customer experience at the same time, right? So totally. sometimes the things that are easier for us actually makes it difficult and more cumbersome for the client. So yeah. you've got to put that lens over it as well. I think an interesting one is um, a client portal. I know that um, we have client portals and that's become very popular in the last few years, but my experience is most customers prefer not to use them. They just want to send us a bunch of documents and have somebody do it for us, do it, do it for them rather. Um, some people love that, um, that, you know, that the ability to log in and, you know, type in some information. But I think they're the minority, not the majority. And because um, most customers still see what we do as, uh, as something that happens to then um, to save them time, not for them to be their own data entry clerks, yeah. right? So um, exactly. we've got it there. We, we've got it, but we, we, we were hoping that would be, um, you know, a couple of years ago, that, that would be the, the panacea and we no longer have to do data entry because the customers are going to do their own. But in reality, that's just not true. Mm. And, and that, I think that comes back to that lens of, well, what does a customer want to do and what do they want their experience to look like? Yeah. And uh, in this case, it turns out singing their, their lounge room table and um, filling out an online fact find actually isn't something that they want to do. <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly right. You know, and again, in terms of I know for myself, it's uh, you know part of the reason that I loved um, sort of doing when I do my own loans is it's all done for me, right? It's done for me. I've got, you know, a big property portfolio. Do I want to sit on something like file invite and upload? No, just I'm going to send it to you. Yes, I'll use Send it to you. You sort it out for me. I don't want to know about that. Exactly. So, (laughs) yeah, as as a consumer, I totally get it. So, I mean, there's been so much good stuff that you've shared today, right? In terms of that designing the client experience around, you know, automate anything that you possibly can and review it. Your process isn't something you just set and forget with the changes you've made with your change uh, with your staff, with the changes that you make on a weekly basis. You're constantly looking to refine the old, you know, Kaizen, which is that continuous improvement. Um, You're doing that within your business, really looking to eliminate those areas of waste and really go to optimize your business. So there's, there's heaps. Oh, there's one thing I didn't talk about, Ross, and I thought it would be worthy. And that was talking about team structures. Hmm. Do, do you want to touch on that now? Yeah, let's touch on it. We've got time? Yeah, we've got time, yeah. Okay, well, look, I mean, so in my mind, um, the, the broker who... And a, and a relationship person, right? So we, we want them to be deployed doing their most productive thing, right? Which is building new relationships and, and talking to more clients. So how can that be true? How can we be doing that most effective thing if we're all bogged down filling out fact finds and filling out bits of paper? That can't happen, right? So uh, I, I, I get this sense with, across the industry that there's this real resistance to um to you know getting other people to do that work for you mm. you know if for the quality to be high i must do it myself kind of thing mm. or i don't want to pay for that because i'm afraid that i'm going to lose that three or four hundred bucks or whatever it is but i can tell you absolutely um that the minute that we started shedding roles and we started cutting them down into you know shelving off the different parts of the, the the job to third parties it really it made everything better for everybody in our team mm, yeah it meant that we could have excuse me we could have part of our life back and we could have more deals go through and we can have more um a, a better customer experience and you know what you can even have heaven forbid a holiday right <laughs> because the work can still happen when you're not there and um, and I think that was just back to that thing we were saying right at the beginning of the, of the call. That was um, my, my learnings when everything was sort of me-centric around my previous wealth management business. Could never have a holiday. Well, getting the right people in the right team and, and having that right size um, means that you can do that. And, and so I think as a, a broker, anybody in a brokerage business, I, I feel that that's what you need to do. And to do that, you need critical mass and scale mm-hmm. otherwise you will perpetually be that slave to um to to not having enough time in the day and doing these 60 hour weeks and i mean do we really want to be um doing 60 hour weeks particularly when most of it's just admin anyway i thought that if you want to be a broker you're really doing that because you're a people person you want to talk to people mm. but do any of us actually get any joy out of doing the admin I don't think so. No. 
definitely not. I think that's a great point. And it's a, it's a great point to, to sort of finish on because I love what you're saying is the freedom that you get in terms of being able to take holidays, spend time with the family comes from scale, right? It comes from doing the things that you love and that you enjoy. And, you know, what you've said around designing your process around the ultimate customer experience and then automating it is exactly how you scale. And obviously your results in terms of what you've achieved, you know, year on year, um, in terms of your numbers. So what was the figure that you hit last financial year with you and the team? Yeah, 100 and just under, smidge under 200 mil, uh, 191 point and a bit. And um, so that it wasn't bad results, particularly considering a lot of my uh, brokers are pretty new to industry brokers. Mm, exactly. But they're able, to be, they're able to be really successful because they've got a really good framework behind them that helps them not focus on wasting time on, things that actually really don't matter. And all of your crew, all of your brokers are pilots or most of them are. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So most of the guys that work with me are um, actually have, this is their second job. And I think about um, one of my guys did 54 mil. The other guy did 50 mil. Now, considering that they've got another full-time job, that's pretty material, right? Oh, definitely, definitely. A lot of brokers struggle to write that and that's their full-time gig and these guys are doing it. It just shows, you know, what you're doing is working. The, you know, the niche that you spoke about is working for you and I know you've got big plans and I know you've got plans to, you know, to keep on scaling and keep on growing and, you know, this is just the start. So, yeah, I'm excited to see where you can go. Yeah, so, no, really, there's a lot of positivity going around. I think there's a lot of opportunity in the industry and there's enough for everybody. There's, it's, you know, having that abundance mindset, I think, is really important. Um, and uh, it's one of those great industries where everybody can win. You just got to get cracking and get your back into it. Yeah, definitely. So one question I ask everyone, right? If you If a broker was looking to start to grow their business and to scale, what is the one tip that you think would be most important for them to focus on? Well, I think the one tip is the one thing that I did, which is design how you want to deliver your service. That's the very first thing. It's, I think it's the foundational component to everything um, because I think particularly in broking, people just say, oh, I just want to write loans for people. Like, well, that's great. We all just want to write loans. Well, that's just that's just really the the, the that's just the the product or the service we provide, right? But the the foundational question you've got to ask yourself is, well, how am I going to do that? Exactly right. Exactly and right. And if you start at that place, and you can change how that looks like over time, but if you start at that place, that gives you some clarity around. Okay, well, if I'm going to do these things, well, then I'm going to need this resource. I'm going to need these products. I'm going to need these these uh, people. I'm going to need this technology, I'm going to need these things that answers a lot of questions. I love that. And I love how you're putting the client then in the center of the journey, right? So That's, like, yeah, what? 100%. You, you, you're starting, a lot of people, you know, start at this end and go, okay, I want to, you know, move the widget from one end to the other without putting the client in the middle of the journey um, where and see it as a transaction. So I love that you, um, you know, put that in and it's great. 
All right. Well, thanks, Rick. It's been great. I've enjoyed it. I've learned a lot. I'm sure you provide lots of pearls of wisdom for, for all the listeners. So yeah, we're, we're, so we're, we're all learners, Ross. I'm still learning. Oh, I'm a lifelong learner, mate. I'm a, I'm a student at heart. And again, you know, one of the reasons I love doing this podcast is because yeah, I, I continue to learn and continue. And I've definitely learned some stuff from you today. That's for sure. No, wonderful. It's been a pleasure to be here and uh, I hope that uh, somebody gets some value out of what we've been talking about. Beautiful. Well, this has been another episode of the Billion Dollar Broker podcast. Uh, so join our, um, join by subscribing on one of your podcast platforms or go to billiondollarbroker.com.au and you'll find all the podcasts there. If you want to also become a part of our community, join our private Facebook group, uh, The Billion Dollar Broker. If you'd like to get in touch, again, go to our website, thebilliondollarbroker.com.au, book appointment, and we'll love to see if we can help you in one of our coaching programs. Uh, Thanks, and I'll catch you next time.